He is risen. I think we can do better. He is risen. This ain't no funeral, folks. This is Resurrection Day. And what a joy it is to, uh, to share this with all of you. It was a pleasant surprise when Tommy contacted me and asked me to preach on Easter Sunday because it's uh, the normal thing for a pastor to want to be in his own pulpit on this special Sunday, but most of you know the circumstances that related to their delayed trip to, uh, to England to see their daughter Katie and her husband, and uh, they tried in the fall, and I preached then, and he, they weren't able to go, and I'm so delighted that she is uh, healthy enough to make that trip. We need to continue to pray for her as well. So today you get your second favorite pastor. My name is Lynn Kent, and I was an interim pastor here for a couple of years, right before Tommy and Sue came. Um, and so because I, I'm a semi-retired pastor, which means I still do some stuff, but I don't get to preach as much, and certainly as much on Easter anymore. So this is a real pleasant thing for me, a great surprise for me to be able to do this. And one of the dangers I have is when I don't get to preach all the time, I may preach a little bit longer, but I should have you out of here by the time your stomach starts grumbling. And I understand we have a, a remedy for that. We've got muffins and fruit and stuff in the entryway as soon as this service is over, so I hope that you will take full advantage of that. I'm delighted to share this Easter message with you today. Let's, before we go any further, let's talk to the Lord. Jesus, we talk to you because you are alive. You're seated at the right hand of the Father, and your ears are tuned to us. You're present with us. And we thank you so much for the privilege of reminding ourselves again about the glorious events surrounding the resurrection of Jesus. And I pray that you would be honored in this entire service today and encourage these people who have come to this place. And we praise these things in the name of the living, resurrected Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, when we preach, uh, we preachers uh, come to Easter, you know, we preached it a lot of times, and so we're always looking for kind of a new perspective, a different view uh, of the events that are there. And um, in, in doing so, as I was going through Mark 16, the Mark 16 account, by the way, I call the Gospel of Mark the Gospel Digest because it's the shortest of all the Gospels, just 16 chapters long, and they're pretty short chapters, and they're pretty fast-paced. Uh, uh, a lot of times people say for new believers, they encourage you to start in the Gospel of John. I personally encourage new believers or seekers to go to the Gospel of Mark because it's shorter. And again, it deals with events and it goes one right after the other. So it's a great book to start with. But anyways, I was looking through Mark 16 in this account again today. I noticed 16 surprises, totally ex uh, unexpected plot twists that in the account of Jesus' resurrection, and it hit me that the Bible is filled with plot twists. It's filled with surprises, things that you wouldn't expect. And that's true throughout the Bible. As you look at turning sticks into snakes, uh, you talk about speaking through donkeys and changing water into fine wine and supersizing an order of fish and chips so that everybody on the hillside could have a taste. And if this element of surprise is a characteristic of God, then it's one that my wife Lois has. Now, she hasn't been here the last couple of times that I've come to preach, and I just want to tell you, we're doing fine. She happens to be back in Syracuse, New York today. We have four children and 14 grandchildren, so Lois is like on a circuit 
most of the time, it seems like. But she's back in New York today uh, with our son. So anyway, she, she likes to do that. One time, she actually staged a rapture scene at our house. I came home from work, came home from the office. The lights were on. There was a, a pot on the stove, and the water was boiling, and the vacuum cleaner was running, and water in the faucet was running, and all of those things were going on. And she and the kids had hid in the bathroom uh, behind the shower curtain to stage. And she, she claimed I was nervous <laughs> because... I had I'd been left behind. One time, I got up to preach, and my sermon notes were gone. She'd hidden my sermon notes. And so I have to tell you, <clears throat> my life for the last almost 54 years has not been dull. It has been filled with surprises all the time, special gifts, those kinds of things. But I have to tell you, I'm resting a little easier knowing that she's in Syracuse today. <laughs> so nothing untoward is going to happen to me. I think the Christian life should be one of surprise and one of adventure as we're going through and we are walking into the unexpected aspects of our life each and every day. Um, when we read scripture with fresh eyes, you can almost hear the saints of old as those uh, the events are described saying, I never saw that coming. Whoa, where did that come from? Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 does a pretty good job of explaining it. All right, there it is. I don't think the way you think. This is God speaking. The way you work isn't the way I work. For as the sky soars high above the, the earth, so the way I work surpasses the way you work. And the way I think is beyond the way you think. On this Easter Sunday, 2023, we're going to review this familiar passage that Gigi just read for us and see six surprises. And surprisingly, by the way, did you all get a, a bulletness today? I've got an outline of this message, so I like to put you to work. I, I provide those outlines when I preach so that you kind of stay on track with me, but you also know how close to the end I am. And that seems to be important to, to crowds whenever I preach. So remembering the events that we're talking about right now, the first surprise... The first surprise that they encountered was free access into the tomb after the stone was removed. By the way, that's another surprise, is that all the fill-ins today start with the same letter. Okay, A, free access into the tomb after the stone was rolled away. Let's uh, kind of set the stage. If you've ever lost a close family member or friend, and I know that you have, you can relate to the grief of these three women. Very likely in a state of shock. They had just watched a brutal crucifixion of Jesus on Friday night, Friday afternoon. I mean, that's a pretty traumatic thing, isn't it? Um, this captivating teacher, powerful miracle worker, loving friend and son of God was dead. All the faith that they had placed into him seemed to be for nothing. It seemed like foolishness now, and they probably were uh, ridiculed a little bit by family and friends saying, you put your trust in this guru. You put your trust in this itinerant prophet, and now he is gone in this way. Evidently, he's nothing more than a memory, and her well-intentioned, uh, this prophet, just seemed to have delusions of grandeur. And so they're struggling with grief, they're struggling with despair and hopelessness, 
There's nothing left to do except to bury the body, pay their last respects, and try to move on with their life. So they're up very early on this Sunday morning, partly because it's hard to sleep when you're grieving, and some of you know that, don't you? When you're grieving, there's a lot of restlessness involved. Back in first century Palestine, you didn't call a local funeral home to take care of your loved one's remains. Family and friends took personal responsibility for preparing the body for burial. The spices really weren't for embalming the body. They were just to keep the odor down long enough for a service to be held, a memorial to be held, to keep it uh, from decomposition. It was the final act of love, somber, gruesome task for sure. Can you imagine adding to your grief by having to personally take care of the remains? But that's what they had to do. And as if that was not enough, there was an obstacle in the way. By some estimates, that stone covering the tomb's interest, uh, entrance could have easily been 1,000 pounds. I did some looking on the internet. What's 1,000 pounds? About as much as a grand piano weighs. About as much as a telephone pole weighs. As much as a horse weighs. Even a smart car, if you know what a smart car is. So we're talking about very heavy things. They would need some very strong men to get inside so that they could do the job. And then came the first Easter surprise. As they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. There you have it, my friends, the very first performance of rock and roll. It's right there in the scripture. There was then and continues to be debate now about who moved the stone. Who moved the stone? The women weren't strong enough. The disciples weren't brave enough. Remember, they ran away like little girls when Jesus was crucified. And the Roman guards weren't dumb enough to have done it. They faced the death penalty if they interfered with an order of Pontius Pilate. In retrospect, of course, we know that the only one who could do it and the only one who would do it would be God himself, who is omnipotent, by the way, which means all-powerful, and I preached about God's omnipotence when I was with you last time. Others have said it this way. The stone wasn't removed to let Jesus out, but to let the witnesses in. I think that's a pretty good statement. The stone wasn't removed to let Jesus out, but to let the witnesses in. First Easter message is about access. It's about access. Ever since Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden, God had been working on a re-entry plan. The death of Jesus provided atonement for sin, payment so that we could have access to God. Ephesians chapter 2 says it like this, you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The removal of the stone gave access to Jesus' followers so that they could verify the resurrection. Jesus lives today at the right hand of the Father, giving us access he lives today to give us access into the very presence of God when we pray in his name. Uh, Romans 8.34, Christ 
Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. The price has been paid, the stone has been removed, Jesus is alive, and everyone who trusts in Jesus has access. We have access to God. Now to surprise number two, another A, the appearance of an angel just outside of the tomb. The appearance of an angel just outside the tomb. Cemeteries and mortuaries can be eerie places, especially in the night or semi-darkness. The last thing you expect to see or want to see is any sudden movement or strange voices coming out of the shadows. I have to tell you, I was a pretty squeamish. I used to be pretty squeamish at funerals. And I was in the, had to be in ministry for a few years before I really got comfortable even being around mortuaries, but we have to do that periodically. And so it's ironic when our church in Portland, Greater Portland Bible Church, started back in 1977 that we started meeting in, of all places, a funeral home. That's where we started. I want to just reminisce with you a little. We, uh, we secured a place called the Dempsey Center. If you know Portland at all, this was between 182nd, between Stark and Division. And so uh, when we were going to start meeting on that Sunday, we went on Friday night with a few of us to kind of check things out, like where classrooms would be, where the nursery would be. I suggested the casket room, but the mothers weren't comfortable with that. <laughs> um, and at this facility, by the way, was beautiful just about five years old. They had original artwork on the walls, very, very well kept. So it really was a beautiful place to start. And while uh, two of our young women were kind of nosing around and looking for places for us to use, they uh, opened the door, turned on the light, and it was the prep room. And it was not empty. Somebody was in there. And so they're looking at that kind of startled, and they hear a voice a deep voice saying, we don't want you to be in here. <laughs> Kid you not, they turned around, and it was an older gentleman with a hook. <laughs> a hook for a hand. And that's what they say. And so they saw that, they saw him, and they said, and we don't want to be in here. And so they just scurried very quickly out of that room. The last two things, these two Marys and Salome expected or wanted to see in this eerie setting was a young man in dress whites. They'd expected to walk into a dank, dark cave and clean up Jesus' mutilated body. They may have expected to perform the duty under the watchful eye of two Roman uh, soldiers, two Roman guards. The passage says the angel looked like a young man dressed in a white robe. Matthew gives us a few more details about the angel's appearance, how he got there, and what he did. There it is. It's coming, isn't it? I just know it. There was a violent earthquake. An angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled the stone away, and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid that they trembled and became like dead men. Now, I think if you take this account together, it very well could have been that there was light glowing from out of the tomb area, maybe flashes of lightning, something like that. And you got to love the angel's first words or this young man's first words when they're overwhelmed by his presence and the lightning and all that stuff going on. And they say, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. That's a whole lot better than a guy with a hook saying, we don't want you in here. 
Angels appeared at several key points in the life of Jesus. Of course, they announced his birth to shepherds just outside Bethlehem. We love that story, don't we? They ministered to him after he faced sincere, uh, tempta severe temptation from Satan in the wilderness. They were comforting him during the agonizing prayer in Gethsemane just before his arrest. We're told that angels escorted him back up to heaven 40 days after his resurrection. And that angels surround his throne today as he carries out his ministry of intercession for us. And angels will accompany him when he comes back to earth to reign in his established kingdom for a thousand years. Now what do you think? Do you think angels still show up today? In human form. My guess is that they do. But I don't think it happens just when we at our own beck and call. Hebrews 1.14 says angels are spirits sent to serve people who are going to be saved. Hebrews 13.2. Be sure to welcome strangers into your home. By doing this, some people have welcomed angels as guests even without knowing it. So if you invite somebody, a guest for dinner today on this Easter Sunday, you just never know what you're going to get. Guess who's coming to dinner? Maybe angels. Maybe someday... I have this theory that there's going to be a great screen room in heaven, maybe on DVR or something like that, and we're going to be able to see some of the great events of history down through the ages of time. And I wonder if we're looking at some of those recordings from the past, as it were, and we're looking at all of our own, even our own lives, if we're not going to be able to pick up on the presence of some angels that walked with us and were present with us at various points during our lives. And that brings us to uh, Easter surprise number three. And that is the absence of Jesus' corpse from its resting place. Even more shocking than what these women did see in Jesus' tomb is what they didn't see. They didn't see the body. As I read this again, brought to my mind a, an old TV event from 1986. I know that there are some people about my age around here today, and you may remember the mystery of Al Capone's vault. Any of you remember that? They got a hold of Al Capone. He, he was a gang, gangster, a Chicago gangster in the 20s and 30s. They got a hold of his vault, and Geraldo Rivera staged this special event where this, tomb, this, this, this vault was going to be open and see what was on the inside of it, much publicized, um, they were sure that they were going to find amazing contents, so, so sure of it that they had a medical examiner there just in case there were some bones, and they also had, of course, an IRS agent just in case there was money in there. 30 million people tuned in to see this television show. And you know what they found inside? Dirt. And a few empty bottles. It was a huge disappointment for the audience and embarrassment for Geraldo Rivera and the network. But rather in this case, it being a disappointment, Jesus' empty tomb was the greatest find in human history. A few years ago, Lois and I, along with two other couples from our church in Portland, got to tour the Holy Land. It was led by Chuck Swindoll and 650 of his closest friends. <laughs> and um, among other things, we got to go to the, the garden area and look in these tombs and see what they were like. It was like a bunkhouse with various rooms, and these 
niches, these shelves where the bodies were placed. And of course, Jesus' body was not found in its niche. Later, when Peter and John came to investigate, they saw the mummy wrap and the face cloth, but nobody. I don't know if it was the Shroud of Turin, but they were convinced that they were from Jesus' dead body. The angel was very clear that they were in the right place. They were at the tomb of Jesus of Nazareth, who had been crucified and died on Friday afternoon. The minds of these women had to be spinning with possible explanations. Where could the body be? The, the grave is empty. Grave robbers. Jewish leaders adding insult to injury. Romans using it for some political advantage. What kind of sick people would steal or desecrate the dead body of anyone, let alone someone like Jesus? None of the disciples even considered the possibility of resurrection, even though Jesus had told them many times, I'm going to die, and three days later I'm coming back. And that never registered with them at the time. Paul describes a future day when graves are going to pop open everywhere on the planet. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. I wonder what kind of explanations or theories will come out about all of these open graves. I like to talk about this uh, when I conduct graveside services. I used to like to, to go into cemeteries and uh, read and meditate because it was always quiet. And, um, <clears throat> but I like to say when I'm at the graveside services that the day is coming when a graveyard is going to be the most exciting place on the planet. There's going to be more activity in a graveyard than anywhere else when believers are raised up from their graves. And I want to tell you, to each one of you, I hope when the trumpet blasts that your grave will be empty, that the ground will be stirred because you will be with the Lord. Well, let's move on to a fourth surprise, surprise number four, which is the announcement of Jesus' resurrection. Despite all of his predictions, the disciples never expected that Jesus would be crucified, let alone raised from the dead. I love the way that uh, Luke records it, chapter 24. It says, why are you looking for the living one in a cemetery? That makes sense, doesn't it? He's not here, but raised up. Remember how he told you when you were still back in Galilee that he had to be handed over to sinners, to be killed on a cross, and in three days to rise up? <clears throat> then they remember Jesus' words. Pastor and commentator David Guzik has done a good job, I think, of summarizing the significance of Jesus' resurrection. So let's look at some of these things together. First of all, the resurrection means that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power. Romans 1.4, the Holy Spirit proved that Jesus is the powerful Son of God because he was raised from death. Number two, the resurrection means that we have assurance of our own resurrection. 1 Thessalonians 4.14 <clears throat> Since Jesus died and broke loose from the grave, God will most certainly bring back those to life who have died in Jesus. Number three, 
The resurrection means that God uh, has a master plan for these bodies of ours. Think about that. God has a plan for your body. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning verse 42. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when they die, when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. I like to say that when we are at a graveyard where a believer has died, we're not just disposing of the remains. We are planting a seed. Think about that. Those of you who are gardeners out there. We're not just disposing of the remains. When a believer dies and buried and is buried, we are planting that body in anticipation of a future harvest. The resurrection of Jesus means that Jesus has a continuing ministry. Romans 8:34 Christ died for us, Christ rose for us, Christ reigns in power for us, Christ prays for us. The resurrection means that the cross was the payment and the empty tomb was the receipt. Isn't that great? I like that. The resurrection means that the cross was the payment and the empty tomb was the receipt. 1 Corinthians 15. Christ died to take away our sins as the scriptures predicted. He was placed in a tomb. He was brought back to life on the third day as the scriptures predicted. And finally, the resurrection means that Christianity is unique completely different than all other world religions. As, all, as if those things weren't enough, there is a fifth surprise awaiting the two Marys and Salome on this first Easter. And that is the amazing grace extended to faltering disciples. Well, we often are criticized, Christianity is criticized for demeaning women. It actually raised their value and importance. You may have heard the Jewish Pharisees, those guys, uh, awoke every morning and they thanked God for these three things. First of all, that they were human rather than an animal, that they were a Jew rather than a Gentile, and that they were a man rather than a woman. Isn't that a great morning prayer for your devotions? I wouldn't suggest praying that one out loud. By contrast, women were among Jesus' most trusted disciples, faithful followers of his. They stayed at the cross longer than anybody else. They risked their lives to prepare his body for a respectful burial. It's significant that his, this angel entrusted them as the first eyewitnesses and messengers of Jesus' resurrection. Over 2,000 years before Savannah Guthrie or Hoda Kotb or Amy Robach, these women, Mary, Mary, and Salome, were reporting the biggest story. They got the scoop on the biggest story in human history. More surprising than the messengers, of course, was their surprising message. Jesus' body wasn't stolen, it was resurrected. Jesus wasn't dead, but alive. Jesus wasn't missing, but we will see him in a few hours. News like that can ruin a really good funeral, by the way, when the corpse comes back to life again. Other passages reveal that after the initial skepticism, the men ran back to the tomb to check it out for them, just like us men, right? We don't believe it when we first hear it. There's a, 
There's a knocking in the engine. Ah, the engine's fine. That brakes are squeal. Ah, the brakes are fine. So we have to be really convinced. We have to kind of hear it for ourselves. And so they ran to find out if the women's story was true, and of course it was. Two words in verse 7 are especially significant. When the angel says to these women, go tell the disciples and Peter. And singles Peter out. Why does he single Peter out? Well, this becomes clear from the last conversation that Jesus and Peter had together on Thursday night. From Matthew 26, Jesus told them tonight, all of you will desert me, for the scriptures say God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter declared, even if everyone deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And the other disciples vowed the same. Most of you know that Peter, in fact, did deny knowing Jesus when he was confronted by a little girl around a bonfire. A crowing rooster set off an alarm in Peter's conscience, and the big fisherman ran out and cried like a baby. As far as Peter knew, Jesus had died before he had an opportunity to apologize, before he had an opportunity to make things right with Jesus. Some of you may be able to relate to that. Maybe you've lost parents or children or spouses or friends with some major issue unresolved between you. That last harsh word, the angry exchange, or even cruel action can never be cleared up. Can you imagine the joy that this message would bring to the heart of Peter? He was already feeling the guilt pretty bad. Not only was Jesus alive, but he mentioned him by name. You tell the disciples, and especially you tell Peter. That means that there was an opportunity to restore the relationship, to say the things that should have been said before. Imagine this surprising message. Jesus himself is here in Hood River, and he wants to meet you at Starbucks right after the service. That's how close it was. What would you want to say to him? What would you like to hear from him? Lord, I had every intention to follow you, to serve you, to represent you in the world, but I have blown it for so many years of my life. And Jesus says, I know. Can I get you a latte? Let's talk. I forgive you. Let's go on together from here. Others might say, I get it. You gave your life for me. Your blood covered my sins. You're alive again. I want eternal life. I'm ready to follow. And Jesus replies, fantastic, tall or grande. Let's move forward from here. Let's go forward from here. Welcome to the family. You don't have to wait till this afternoon to say these things to Jesus. In a few moments, we're going to provide some moments of reflection for you to do that very thing, to spend some time with Jesus in your mind and in your heart because he knows your name and he knows what you look like and he knows where you are and he knows what you've done and he knows what you haven't done. And so you can add your name. Tell the disciples and Peter, 
Tell the disciples in, and Raymond. Tell the disciples and Sally. Jesus wants to connect with you. He's alive. He's alive. He has forgiveness and grace and hope to offer to all who respond to the surprising Easter message. There are scores of women and men in this room who can testify to the reality of Jesus Christ who has risen from the dead and today is alive and well. He has forgiven them. He has transformed their lives just as he did immediately following his resurrection so many years ago. And that brings us to one final Easter surprise. Kind of a tack on, but I think it's still significant. And that is the abrupt ending of Mark's gospel. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. Now, chances are, if you look in your Bible, if you have an actual Bible with you today, I usually, you know, use this one, but in the, the manuscripts of the Bible that you have, usually there's a note that says verses 9 through 20 do not appear in the most reliable ancient manuscripts. Now, if you read those verses, uh, it has some post resurrection appearances, joyful seaside meals, uh, scenes of reconciliation and forgiveness, uh, garden embraces, and the declaration that he is risen. And then there's two really weird things that are involved in that, that are written in that section. And it refers to snake handling and poison drinking. What in the world does that have to do with the resurrection? And why is that even in there? It's possible that for whatever reasons, the last part of the manuscript was lost and some scribe constructed a closing summary with a bias, maybe. If this was written more recently, we would say Peter's computer froze. And then he lost everything. Ever done that? Gone. Been there, done that. It's important to learn some basic rules of biblical interpretation which includes scriptures verifying other scriptures. In other words, you don't build a doctrine on one verse in the Bible. Okay? You always want to check it with other passages in the Bible to get verification. That's part of good Bible study methods. Some have suggested that the abrupt ending was for dramatic purposes, leaving us with women who are dazed and confused by their experience and assignment. Truth be told, the resurrection story still boggles the mind 2,000 years later. It's either a, an ancient fable with a moral lesson or it's the most significant event in the history of the world. Virtually all of Jesus' disciples went to their graves and in most cases being tortured in defense of a resurrected Jesus. I mean a bodily resurrected Jesus. And it, the implications of that resurrection for everybody. I've been preaching this surprising truth for over 50 years. And I plan to spend the rest of my life preaching this message whenever I have the opportunity, whenever I have the strength. And my hope is that this dear church will never falter in preaching Jesus' sacrificial death, his physical burial, his literal resurrection, and triumphant ascension as its primary message. If I can divert just a little bit, I am deeply concerned that churches have gotten off message with all kinds of other messages rather than the message we've talked about today. This is what we have to say to the world, friends. This is the message that needs to be spoken and it's the message that needs to be heard 
And I hope that you insist, elders, that you insist that there is no deviation from that message ever. What a delightful surprise it would be if on this Easter Sunday, 2023, there would be somebody in this room who says, I get it. I get it. I've heard it before, but it never touched my soul before. And that would be a great surprise to you, and it would be a great surprise to the people who really care about you. And with all of these surprises, gotcha. And that's what the Lord wants to do. He wants to surprise you and get you with this great message of the resurrection of Jesus. Let's bow together in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that I have today to share this great message with a church that I love so much. Lois and I have ongoing relationship with. And I thank you for the message of the resurrected Jesus, a surprising message of the resurrection of Jesus. And today, Lord, I pray that someone will be surprised by the way that you're moving and working in their mind and the way that you're moving and working in their heart and it finally comes to land on them that you're alive. And you want to meet them. And you want to connect with them. And you want to enter into a family relationship with them. Maybe some of you have never personally invited Jesus to come into your life. That's part of my story, the way that I came to Christ through a church. And I kind of did the things. I felt like my relationship with the Lord was kind of um, negotiated between the preacher and God. But I had to come to a place in my life to feel there's no, there's no middleman here on earth. The only middleman is between Jesus, who's the mediator. So maybe this is the day. Some of you will say and mean it, Jesus, I get it. I get it. Thank you for coming to earth. Thank you for living a sinless life. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that after you died, you were buried in your body. And thank you that on the third day, you rose from the dead, and today you are seated at the right hand of God. I get it. I ask you to come into my life and start this work of changing me, making me into the person that you created me to be. We want to be gotten by you. Lord, I pray for just a wonderful result as your spirit moves in the lives of men and women and boys and girls today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you all stand with us as we close and worship this morning? Jesus paid it all.
Is risen. Is risen the Lord is risen. Is risen Isn't that surprising? That's surprising. And I hope that you have a surprising day and a surprising week. 
as you walk into the adventure of the life of faith with the risen Jesus Christ. Now, it's no surprise that as soon as we're done here, there's food out there. Because I remember Shepherd of the Valley. And in fact, the theme song used to be, God be with you till we eat again. So we're going to share in some great fellowship and some great food. God bless you all. I'll see you in the entryway.